Right. <clears throat> well, hello today and welcome to Grace at uh, all of our locations. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us and be in worship on this Palm Sunday weekend. You know, the most paradoxical moment in history was that Friday when the Creator was crucified by his creatures. I mean, come on. How do you wrap your mind around that? But if you've been reading the Jesus story at all, if you've looked in the Gospels or checked out the Scriptures, you know that maybe you shouldn't be surprised after all. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of surprises in the story. God comes from heaven. He comes from a throne and is placed in a manger in a barn. You've got to admit, that's a bit unusual. Or take Mary. I mean, who could have predicted that this teenager from some podunk town would be selected, chosen, to be the mother of the Messiah? And Joseph, his earthly stepfather, if you will, who helped raise him along with Mary, I mean, he was a carpenter, but he was so, he was so poor, in fact, that when it came time for the traditional sacrifice of a lamb, Joseph couldn't afford that. He had to instead substitute two doves for the sacrifice. That's the best he could do. The best he could do for the Son of God. And what about the disciples? Really? I mean, if your objective is to change the world, how do you explain these uncouth and dirty fishermen and this scandalous tax collector, huh? How can you wrap your mind around that? You've got to admit, there's a lot of surprises and paradoxes in this ancient story. But easily, to me, easily the most mysterious part of it all is the death of Jesus. Now, if you've not done so already, and if you have a copy of the scriptures of your own, whether it's a traditional Bible or whether it's your portable device that you're using, I invite you to open it now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In fact, you can just leave it open there because in a moment we're going to start at verse 18, but we'll look at a number of verses there in the rest of that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start in a moment in verse 18. You see, there was a great church in this city of Corinth. It was a prosperous, very affluent city where Paul had helped start a congregation. And the Christians wanted to represent Jesus well. Like all good Christians do, they just wanted to reach out to their friends and family members and neighbors and, and share the good news, share the gospel. But as they did that in Corinth, a city that was known not just for its great economics, but it was known for people who fancied themselves as being very wise. As they shared the gospel, you know what? The people of the town thought they were crazy. They honestly thought they had lost their minds. They said, this doesn't make sense. This message is foolish. And so sure enough, Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. 
He acknowledges, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Nobody would argue with the first part of that statement, that the message of the cross is foolishness. It sure was to the people in the first century. I mean, to the typical Jewish person, for instance, the cross was the ultimate sign of weakness. Their own holy scriptures had said, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And there were all kinds of other reasons that this symbol of weakness was just despicable to them. Let me just mention a few. For instance, to the Jewish people, it represented their unwilling submission to Roman authority. Every time there was a little rebellion in a province where Jewish people lived, the Roman authorities would come in quickly and squelch the rebellion by crucifying people. It was their way of saying, look, make no mistake, we're in charge. During the boyhood days of Jesus, and many scholars believe Jesus probably saw this with his own eyes. We don't know for sure. But there was a rebellion that the Romans put down, and they crucified on one day over 2,000 Jewish people. They put a cross every 10 meters along the road leading into and out of Jerusalem. Imagine what an indelible mark that sight would have made on anyone, young or old. It was their way of saying, look, we're in authority. You are submissive to us. But the cross also represented to the Jews their humiliation. You see, there was many ways that the Romans could execute a person. They could do it with the strike of a sword, and that was extremely common, just beheading someone. They could do it with fire by burning. They could drown them. They could kill them with stones in a form of stoning, as the Jews practiced as well. Or they could be a little bit more urbane about it and put a little hemlock in the person's drink and poison them, all kinds of ways. The Romans could practice execution, and they did, but if they wanted to humiliate a person, it was the cross that they chose. And it always happened publicly. And so it was their way of saying, look, we're going to maximize the pain and maximize the humiliation. But there's another reason that to the Jewish people, the cross seemed despicable and, and foolish. It was a stumbling block. It's because of the suffering of the cross. You may go, well, doesn't that go without saying? But let me tell you why I mentioned that in particular. You see, almost every crucifixion victim was first scourged. His hands were tied to the top of a post, and that made the skin and the muscles on the back taut so that the cat of nine tails would tear more easily and deeply. Now, the Jews had a practice that was a little bit more humane, if you can even say that about it. They would not whip someone over 40 lashes. In fact, they felt that 40 was just bringing someone to the brink of death. No one could endure over 40, and so they would stop in their counting at 39. 
It's interesting that Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he had, as he looks back over his life as an apostle, he says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So Paul had endured that kind of whipping five different times. But the Romans didn't count because the Romans didn't care about that. They wanted to inflict as much human suffering as possible. And historians tell us that six out of ten victims died from the scourging alone. But the cross also represents defeat. You see, we usually don't think about this, but this crossbar right here, the one that goes this way, was called the patibulum. And it was made to be taken off of the stipes. The stipes, usually, the vertical piece, usually remained in the ground, particularly at places where there were going to be regular executions going on. It was too much work to constantly remove this. It stayed stationary in the ground. But the patibulum was the part that moved. It typically weighed 100 to 125 pounds. And so after, after Jesus had been scourged, it was probably this that was then placed on his shoulders across his back, and he was forced to carry it. They went on a road called the Via Dolorosa. It wasn't the shortest route to Calvary, but it was the most crowded because the Romans saw this as a sporting event. They wanted as many people as possible to kind of join in the procession as they went on their way outside the city to Calvary where people were typically crucified. And it was their way of saying, you are defeated, we win, you lose. In fact, even the sound of the hammer hitting the nails as the victim was then hoisted up onto the stipes, the patibulum put in place, and their feet and hands attached by nails, the ringing of that hammer on those nails was like a sound of victory to the Romans. We win, you lose, you are defeated. You see what it represented? Submission and humiliation and suffering and defeat, but paramount of all, the cross represented death. Nobody ever came off of a cross alive, ever. The truth is, they might last for two or three days. People might come by and give them a little bit of water or something. It would prolong, actually, the agony but as long as the victim could push himself up, he could keep breathing a lot of times. And if he haven't lost too much blood in the scourging, he could live for quite a while there. But nobody ever came down alive. The Romans made sure of it. If they wanted to speed the process up, they would come and with a mallet, a sort of hammer, break the legs of the victim and he could no longer push himself up in order to expel air, in order to breathe, and so he would suffocate more quickly. I, I, I think you'll agree. I think you can see why Paul would make such a statement that the cross is foolishness, the message of the cross. In fact, l let me ask a question. Why Mary? Why disciples? Why all these things, but most important of all, 
Why the cross? Why would God do that? Why would God take the ultimate symbol of weakness and turn it into the ultimate symbol of strength? I mean, I, I don't think I get that. I can kind of understand the manger. I mean, that's quaint. quaint. It kind of warms the heart, actually, to think about a, a stable and animals. I, I can understand Mary. I mean, there's some inspiration in that. Someone you might never think gets chosen by God. I can understand the part about Jesus coming from a podunk town. I think that has Hollywood appeal, to be honest. We kind of like those against all odds stories, don't we? They sell. They appeal to us. We get inspired by them. But I don't understand this. The cross? Why would God choose the cross? I hope you're listening very carefully right now. God chose the cross not in spite of its weakness, but deliberately because of its weakness. It's as though God said, let's see, what is the thing, what is the symbol that least represents grace, that least represents forgiveness, that is the last thing people would think of when they think about life? What, what's, the, what's the one symbol that people would least likely think of when they think about healing and strength? Ah, oh, the cross. Perfect. I'll choose that. God chose the cross because he's the only one who could do that kind of thing. If your Bible's still open there to verse 22, it says, for Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I want to be very clear about this. God chose the cross deliberately because it's out of that kind of weakness that he brings strength. And by the way, here's the point that we really need to get out of this. What God did for the cross, this is why this makes all the difference in the world. What God did for the cross, he can do for me. What God did for the cross, he can do for you. In fact, do you want a great prayer to pray today and all week during this, what's traditionally called Holy Week, leading up to our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday? It would be this prayer. God, would you do for me what you did for the cross? Because God, I, I'm guilty and I need grace. I, I'm hurting and I need healing. God, I'm, I'm defeated in so many ways and I could use a victory 
God, I'm condemned. I stand condemned. I, I need freedom. God, I'm, I'm dead in my sins. According to the Bible, I am dead in my sins. I need life in you. God, I'm weak. I need strength. Would you pray that prayer this week? It's one of the greatest prayers you could pray on this holy week. God, what you did for the cross, would you do for me? Down in verse 27 of the text we're studying today, it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God showed, chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. <laughs> Incredible. It's just what God does. And only God could do that. Only God could be strong enough, powerful enough to bring strength out of that kind of weakness and foolishness. By the way, I hope we all understand that that is one of the central messages in the Bible. God chooses weak things. If you don't believe me, I, I challenge you really to check it out. I mean, just kind of go through scripture and see how that what God did for the cross and what he can do today for you and for me, it, it's just kind of his MO. Just go through the Bible and check it out. I mean, think about it with me for a moment. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was falsely accused and imprisoned. Moses stuttered. Rahab was a prostitute, for goodness sakes. Gideon was poor. Samson was proud. Naomi was a widow. David had an affair. Elijah, that dude was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was very disobedient. John the Baptist, whoo, well, let's just say he was eccentric, to say the least. Any dude that eats grasshoppers needs some therapy, okay? <laughs> Peter was impulsive and had a bad temper. Martha worried a lot. The woman at the well had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular and a thief. Thomas had doubts. The apostle Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid and lacked courage. And on and on and on the story goes. It continues right into this room today. The very things that we think disqualify us from being used by God, God looks at us and he can do for us what he did for the cross. He can look at something that's so weak and he can say, out of weakness, I can bring strength. You pray that prayer this week because God chooses weak things. By the way, that's why Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, a follow-up letter to this first one. 
He wrote in chapter 12, beginning in verse 9b and going on through verse 10, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and hardships. And he mentions all these things, the persecutions and the insults and the difficulties, and said, look, I, I delight in these things because I've gotten the message that God brings strength out of weakness. Dear friend, are you listening to me? I want you to understand the message of the gospel today because I fear that so many people don't get this message I'm talking about. This is not the way it works. We don't work really hard to get ourselves all fixed and get all of our attitudes positive and straightened out and get all of our bad habits all prettied up and then come to God, God, look, I'm strong now. I'm strong enough now for you to accept me, God. Look at me. Some of you think that's the way it works and you've been trying like crazy to make yourself strong. Oh, this is so important. The message of the cross is no, no, no. I come to God in all of my condemnation and brokenness. Even though my life is sideways and I've made so many foul-ups and mess-ups, it's amazing. I come to God with that and I go, God, I'm weak. I need your strength. And it's then that you'll really discover what it means to be saved. You bring all your failures and sins to him because it's here that he bore all of those for you. Not so you could carry them because he's already done that for you. Oh, I know, I know. I know this goes against everything we were taught since we were a little kid. I get it. Ever since we were a little kid, we were taught, don't let them see you sweat. Don't show any weakness. Always show your strength. You go on a job interview. And you face this, the interviewer gets to that dreaded question. You know the one? Hey, tell me, would you, what is your greatest weakness? Why, you don't tell them the truth. My goodness, they'd never hire you if you told them the truth. No, when they ask, what's your greatest weakness? You don't say, well, I'm seldom at work on time. I've never been able to get along with my fellow employees, and I usually have a very crotchety, sour attitude in the workplace. I'm not happy to be there, and uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure I know how to turn a computer on. <laughs> no, you don't tell them that. When they ask that question, what is your greatest weakness, you go, well, I can be a perfectionist, you know. You find some way to kind of turn it into a strength. When they ask, what's your greatest weakness? You go, well, oh, wow, I, I, ooh, I'm going to have to be vulnerable here. i got to tell you, I can tend to be a workaholic. You, you know what my greatest weakness is? I work too much. That's my greatest weakness. Baloney. We would never tell the truth because we don't want to show our weakness. We have trouble with this message that out of weakness, God can bring strength. You realize that there are about 2,000 self-help books published every single year. 
About 2,000. <laughs> I read a bunch of them myself. You know, I, I've always quipped, kind of silly, I, I need all the help I can get, oh yeah. And I kind of enjoy self-help books, to be honest. I got a ton of them in my personal library. And can I be honest, self-help books can help you manage your time a little better. You can get some good pointers about how to organize better and be more efficient and how to kind of, you know, get going in the morning and how to tweak your attitude. There's tons of practical little, especially cosmetic kinds of things that that you can get help with in self-help books. Can I really be honest with you? I've read so many self-help books. Can I tell you what the basic message is in the self-help books? You are strong. Just look deep down inside yourself, and if you look hard enough, you'll see that you're strong enough. You've got everything you need. The message of the cross is the exact opposite you are not strong you are weak and you'll never be strong until you humbly come to this cross and acknowledge your weakness and that you've fallen far short of God's standards And it's then in your greatest moment of weakness as you're turning all that over to God with genuine humility and vulnerability before God, it's then that you'll find strength in him that you never dreamed. That's the message of the cross. So I'd like to close today in a a little unusual way. I've got a wheelbarrow up here, as, as you can see, and it, it's got some, some bricks in it. These are really heavy bricks, let me tell you. They're like the old-time bricks, really, really heavy. And, and, and I want these bricks to represent some of the things that I try to be strong in. Now, I'm going to get vulnerable here, but as I mention some of the things that I try to carry around in my backpack most days, and they get really heavy, to be quite honest, Maybe you could be thinking about a few of the, the bricks that, that you carry around, all right? So I, I don't know what your bricks are, but boy, I sure know what mine are. So let me, let, let me mention a few. I, let's let this brick, wow, that's heavy. Let's let this brick represent my past. My past, all the guilt, all the shame of the things I've done I know I shouldn't do. But to be honest, all, all the good things I could have done, I could have been there for somebody and I wasn't. I could have said a positive word and I didn't. I, I could have made a difference, but I, I just was too lazy or didn't want to for some reason. I, I'm going to let this represent my past. The opportunities that I let go, um, those relationships that had so much potential and I, I just botched it. And you know what I do, guys? I... I stuffed this thing down in my backpack and oh, I hoist it up and I, some days I get up in the morning and I just, I just kind of carry the weight of my past. Boy, that gets heavy. It gets heavy when you try to carry around the guilt and the shame and all the regrets you've got about your past. You know what God wants me to do? God wants me to bring all that guilt 
all that sin, all that shame. He wants me to put it right here at the foot of the cross because the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. I've, I've got to give that to Jesus and let him carry it for me. Past is, is a huge brick we carry around, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention another one, okay? I'm going to let this brick represent my selfishness. Now, this may not apply to any of you, but I think about the roles that I have as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor. Three big roles that I have in life, okay? And you know what? You may think I'm a pretty good guy, but can I tell you the truth about it? At home, I can be very self-absorbed. At home, I can be, with the family, I can be passive and disengaged a lot of times and just kind of living in my own mind and my own world, not really contributing much to the family. Uh, selfish. In fact, there's a word I'm searching for here. Hypocritical. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. I can be a hypocrite. Oh, at church, I can really put on a good face. Let me tell you, I can make you think I'm a pretty good guy, pretty pious and virtuous, but I am selfish. And you know, I try to work on that. I know I ought not, and I try to carry that brick around. And I say, I'm going to be strong enough. I'm not going to be, but no, it's a losing battle. God wants me to bring that brick and put it right there because he can carry that for me. That's, that's what this is all about. Quickly, I, I, I want to let this brick represent my pride. You know, I got to acknowledge sometimes I care way too much about what people think about me. I really do. I know better. I know I ought to be living for an audience of one. It's really only God's opinion that matters, and he's the judge ultimately. I get it. But I care way too much because I'm proud, and I want people to think I'm awesome. And so I got a really big ego and a lot of pride, and I, I try to carry that. I try to deal with that because I know it's not good. I, but what I ought to do is, I had to bring it here because the Bible says God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble and I need to leave that. I need to leave it right there at the foot of the cross and not take it back up again. I'm gonna mention one other brick, one other brick. And this is my sin struggles. Do you have any of these? Ah, wow. This brick represents all those temptations, all those areas where, man, I've battled it and battled it and I just keep falling and failing and stumbling and trying to get back up again. But see, too often, I'm just trying to do that in my own strength and I put it in my backpack back here and I, I stumble through the day trying to carry this huge weight around. God doesn't want me to do that. I'm never going to get the victory over those sin struggles on my own strength because I'm weak. I'm not strong. I'm weak. And so the only way I'm going to have the strength is when I 
get wise enough to come here and put that right there. God, we acknowledge today that out of weakness, you bring strength. Help us to see more clearly than ever that when we are weak, when we're willing to acknowledge that weakness and humbly come to you, it's only then that we can find the strength to be victorious. So we ask that you do for us what you did for the cross. Out of defeat, you bring victory. Out of condemnation, freedom. Out of hurt, healing. Out of death, life. In Jesus' name. Now, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what bricks you may have brought in here. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. May, maybe one of these bricks for you would, would represent a a learning disability or maybe it would represent a special needs child or maybe it would represent a relationship and man, it is driving you to the brink of insanity that relationship you honestly just don't know what to do with it right now but you're just trying to be so strong and make it work yourself this might represent for you a, a health challenge of some kind it might represent a horrible temptation where you are just so bound and you're in bondage. I don't know what it represents for you, but I do know this, God doesn't want you to carry this. And if you will just humbly acknowledge your weakness and bring whatever that brick is and just leave it here at the foot of the cross where Jesus died to take care of that, I will assure you of this. He'll not only carry that weight, but in the process, he'll carry you too.